Hello, and welcome to this episode of Fathom in Conversation, a new economics podcast. This is brought to you by Fathom Consulting, an independent research consultancy specializing in macroeconomics, geopolitics, and financial markets. In this series, titled The Rise of China, we explore the emergence of China, its extraordinary economic boom, and the impact that's had on the rest of the world. Each episode features an in-depth discussion with Fathom's team of economists, who use their knowledge and expertise to provide insights into the Chinese economy. Episode 9, Doubling Down at the Double. Hi, I'm Andrew Harris, and I'm joined today by two of Fathom's China specialists, Laura Eaton and Joanna Davies. Hi. Hiya. Today, we're going to discuss how China's economy has fared since the global financial crisis. Last time, we focused on the need for China to reform its growth strategy and its hokey-cokey approach towards doing that. Despite many on-off attempts at this reform, official numbers suggest that GDP growth had, until recently, remained relatively stable. That being said, annual GDP growth has fallen substantially in recent years. So, Laura, is now the time to panic? So on China's own standards, it is a slow pace of growth and according to its official estimates. So it used to be double digits up to 2010 and now it's averaging 7.5% per year. However, this may be slow growth for China, but it would be rapid for anyone else. But there's good reasons to question the reliability of these official estimates, especially as they look so flat in recent years. Yes, indeed. So China, despite it having 1.4 billion people, publishes its official estimates of GDP growth faster than any other major economy, just three weeks after the preceding quarter. On top of that, the revisions are astonishingly small, and it's always bang on target or above. For that reason, we actually prefer to look at alternate measures to gauge the state of China's economy. So at Fathom, we've produced something that we call our China Momentum Indicator, our CMI, Originally, when we first produced this in 2014, we started with just three indicators that Premier Li Qiang highlighted as um, being better measures of China's true economic growth rate. And since then, we've expanded it to 10 different measures. And that now includes things like commodity prices, rail freight, electricity production, also retail sales, imports and the like. And this um, this correlation that you've uh, hinted at between the CMI and uh, commodity prices it's it's something that we've touched upon in previous episodes so earlier in the series Kevin Lone mentioned the link between increased economic activity in China uh, and the role that plays in the exports of commodity producing economies and that will also pass through to prices so increased demand for commodities will lead to higher prices of those particular commodities. Yeah so that's because China's a price maker rather than a price taker and that that's bound to be the case when you're the world's largest energy consumer and also accounting for around half of the world's total steel consumption. So what happens in China does matter for commodity prices. So then, what is our China momentum indicator showing now? So since the end of 2017, so November to be precise, our CMI has been slowing steadily, so not quite as steeply as it suggested that China's true growth has slowed in the past. So for example, 2015-16, but um, it's still a significant slowing by China's standards. So it's slipped by almost two percentage points. So it's currently hovering at around 5.3%. So you mentioned that slowdown in 2015-2016, and indeed that's one of the few times when you see... uh, 
a major divergence between our China momentum indicator and official GDP statistics. And the case of 2015 is particularly interesting because that was a year where you saw a lot of financial market turmoil. So you saw oil prices and other commodity prices fall significantly. And arguably, the slowdown in China and the financial market reaction to that was one reason that US policymakers delayed their tightening of interest rates by almost a year. So Laura, what was the cause of this this slowdown? What did China do? What happened to China that caused a massive fall in the CMI in 2015? So in 2012, policymakers decided that they had pushed on a string too far and the amount of shadow financing which had been unleashed into the economy in order to invest in unproductive capacities such as real estate, which we'll go on to another episode, had gone too far and they clamped down on credit. But the problem with that is there's two types of rebalancing. There's good rebalancing and there's bad rebalancing. And bad rebalancing took place between 2012 and 2015. Investment fell because of the clampdown on credit. However, consumption didn't rise to offset that because none of the reforms which would have increased the amount of consumption by consumers took place. We actually wrote a note in March 2014 ahead of the curve titled Rebalancing is not the cause of China's slowdown, pointing these factors out. So in 2015, China threw in the tail, was not happy with lower growth, which we estimated to be around 2 or 3% according to our CMI at that point in time and doubled down on investment and export-led growth yet again. That did succeed in increasing growth. However, it's just adding to its long-term problems. And we actually have concrete evidence that the reason why the CMI picked up in 2016 was owing to the fact that China did double down on growth, haven't we, Joe? Yeah, that's right. So uh, when we first called the fact that China's economy had slowed really hard, bottoming out in 2015 and that China's policymakers were going to double down, we didn't have this measure. We hadn't created it. But over the last year, we have, and it's called our China growth strategy. And that's actually something that we touched on in the last episode. So what this covers is four different metrics looking at whether China's managing to rebalance externally, internally and in terms of financial measures. Um, And it's clear from that measure, as you say, Laura, that uh, China managed to lift growth or kickstart growth by doubling down again, particularly in terms of credit. And this is something that we've referred to in our notes as China's love-hate relationship with credit. So it's interesting, you both refer to this doubling down poker analogy. It's essentially, as I see it, that Every time growth slows, policymakers in China will respond by going back, reversing to their old growth model, so this investment and export-led growth model. Each time they do so, they increase the stock of debt in the economy, and that which is increasing the stake you're playing. Every time so far, they've won this gamble, they've placed this bet, doubling down has boosted growth, and they've got back to the trajectory they're happy with. At some point, there may well come a time when they lose this bet, and they'll be forced to deal with the consequences of that. And there are already hints that it's not returning what it used to back in 2016. So it's getting less bang for its buck, you might say. Gamble's not quite paying off as much as it did before. But ultimately, China hasn't yet reached Judgment Day, the point at which stimulus becomes completely ineffective. And with that, we're brought to the end of our episode. This time, we've discussed China's growth in recent years and how policymakers have just about kept the show on the road. I'd like to thank Laura and Joanna for joining me. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. 
Next time, I'm joined by Fathom CEO Eric Britton, and we'll turn our attention to the future, asking where China goes from here. Until then, if you've enjoyed the content of this episode, then why not take a look at the note, Too Close to the State to Fail? Alternatively, if you'd like to keep up to date with China's economic growth, view our regular CMI updates, either on our website or on Refinitiv's Lipper Alpha Insight platform. To read any of the material referenced in this episode or any other, go to the podcast section of our website at fathom-consulting.com where you can find the show notes. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any future content. Thank you for listening to Fathom in Conversation. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Fathom Consulting, presented by me, Andrew Harris, and both edited and produced by Liara Gabai. Fathom is an independent consultancy specializing in global macroeconomics, geopolitics, and financial market research. Our economists also produce in-depth research in China, and we have built a suite of analytical indicators specifically to monitor the Chinese economy. To find out more about our research and bespoke consultancy work, go to fathom-consulting.com. If you're interested in the data side of things, check out Fathom's chart book on Refinitiv's data stream and icon platform. This is our library of over 9,000 ready-made charts containing up-to-date global, macroeconomic and financial market data. Simply type CBook into your icon search bar to find out more. From all of us here at Fathom, thanks for listening to Fathom in Conversation.